the first three pages in, the, in your notes are actual notes, and then the rest of it is going to be material that uh, is just there to illustrate, and some of it is there just, just for the fun of it. And so I'll explain that in a second, but let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer this morning, shall we? Father, once again, we are so delighted to be here with your people. We're so delighted to have in our hands the written word of God to know the truth, to find the things that are there, Father, that are simply there for us to know. Some of them we practice. Some of them simply bolster our faith and our insurance in what you are like. And so today, Father, these are things that will increase our, our confidence in your word, our confidence in your person, because there are things here that the mankind has tried to deny, tried to hide, but the facts are still there in your word and even in archaeology supporting the word. We know that we don't have to have the testimony of science or archaeology to prove the scriptures, but it's nice when we find evidence that backs up what scripture has already said. May this time today, Father, be a day when it encourages us and challenges us to more study and to enjoy what your scripture tells us. We ask in our Savior's name. Amen. Now, after the first three pages of, of your notes... Uh, there, there's a section on uh, that I did for. Oh, this it's been done a couple times, and I've redone it for this group for our class. I, an Old Testament survey. You have the sons of God and the, and the giants of Genesis. Now, what this is is the names for the giants, the names for these offspring. The Hebrew names are all here recorded. Only it's English, but you can see the heading. For example, it has Nephilim, and it has the Hebrew word, then has Rephaim, and it has all the places these words are found. And then it has another group called Anakim, which were a particular group of Rephaim who were particularly known for being fierce, battle, fierce in warfare. And so you have all these references, and this is all, all the places you will find the, the different names for these Old Testament giants. And uh, some of this we're going to use. Some of it we may not cover in class, but it's yours for the taking. Yes? Question. What does the number next to the term is that a, a oh, that, code or something that tells you about? Yeah, what I have done in here is uh, I've encouraged people to use eSword. eSword's Bible software that you can get for free. And you can use, these are called Strong's numbers. What, what James Strong, I believe it was James Strong, years ago went through every word in the Bible and he gave it a number, its own number. Every single word in the Bible. And... And, and you can use that in eSword. So when you come to, for example, H7497, I put that in there rather than putting in the Hebrew word Rephaim. It's the Hebrew word Rephaim. But if you go to the eSword and you go to King James Plus and you click on search and it says search what? And you put in H7497 and you, and you say click on search the whole Bible, it'll bring up every place it's used. And so eSword is a wonderful, wonderful tool. Yeah, it, it's a wonderful free tool. Now, I don't know about you folks, but free is my favorite word when it comes to buying. <laughs> Although there was, I had one of my favorite insults is about this one book that I read about, and I said, you can get it for free, I said, but it's too expensive. In other words, <laughs> that's the way of saying it's really not very good. It's free, but it's too expensive. But so, when you go through here, you can see all the different names. Now, after that, we, we get into some stuff that's, that's just really fun. There is another page. It says, Smithsonian admits to destroying skeletons of giant human beings in the early 1900s. This is fascinating because this is not something that you're going to hear about. And I picked it up off the Internet and someone put it on there. And on the second page of that, you'll see a man standing with, a, with the longest leg bone of a, of a being, of a human being. It's a femur. 
on page two of that one about Smithsonian, if you look at it, there's a man holding this leg of a bone that's almost as tall as he is. Now, if you have a leg bone that long, if I remember correctly on this, they said that whatever, whatever humanoid type being would have that leg bone was probably somewhere around 15 feet tall. Now, that's a, that's a humanoid leg bone. That looks exactly like them, but it's not if it's from a Rephaim. We don't have what you read. Oh, no, it's, it's uh, in, in your, if you keep going back, there's one that says Smithsonian. Oh, all the way back. Yeah, in the back. We'll go, I'm telling you about the handouts that I have oh, extra. Oh, I misunderstood. Yeah, the first three pages are notes, and then after that, then we go into the handouts afterwards. And so the first section of handouts has the sons of God, the giants of Genesis, which gives you every place where the words associated with the offspring are there. Because the offspring are known by three different names in particular. Anakim, Rephaim, and Nephilim. And this gives you all the places they're found so you can see everywhere it's found. And there's some surprising things in here we're not going to have time to go into. But boy, it's, it just makes it absolutely amazing. Then Smithsonian, the next one, the Smithsonian admits to destroying skeletons. Now, they really did this. And that's because it didn't fit their theory. That shows you what science is really like. Now, the next page after that, you'll see one called, it's got two circles on it called Weaver's Bone, Weaver's Beams, if you look. If you see that one, that'll come in handy for a second. The reason that's there, you'll see why that's there when we get to it. I'm not going to spill the beans too soon. And then the last page in here, this one is intriguing, intriguing, intriguing. It comes from a site that is really fun to go to. It's called GoliathSpear.com. It's mentioned in our notes. And this is a reconstruction done by conservative evangelicals who are Bible believers of what they believe based upon historical information about spears and weaponry. This is what Goliath Spear would have been like based upon its description in the Old Testament. Now, if you look at this guy standing there, you see the guy standing there? If you look at the chart just to his left, you'll see six. That's six foot tall. This man is all of about six foot seven or six foot eight. But look at the spear. The spear is 12 foot seven inches long. That's Goliath's spear. And Goliath, you see up at the top, there's a little plate that says Goliath, nine foot six inches. Compare him to a guy that's six foot eight. This guy down here is over six foot. He's about six foot seven, but look how he's dwarfed by Goliath. And then Goliath held that spear. And we're going to find out that Spear's total weight was about 50 pounds. And by the way, I might as well tell you, the, the page, the weaver's beam before that, it said his shaft was like a weaver's beam, so it was two to two and a half inches around, 17 feet long, weighed 50 pounds. Now, what kind of a being would be able to throw that? A 50-pound spear, I could, I could maybe, Bill, maybe you and I could pick it up together. But you know what? If we got a running start, if we could still run and get a running start, I don't think we could throw it very far. I mean, that is just, uh, the, the head of the spear is weight of a bowling ball. The head of the spear is, is almost 16 pounds. That's like a bowling ball. Can you imagine 30, uh, you get a ten, over 10 foot long, and you put a bowling ball on the end of it? This is why this is fascinating, and, and this is not things that, I don't know how, how scientists deal with this, but they don't want to admit that these beings existed. In fact, if you look it up in the, in the dictionary, I've looked it up a time or two, in a regular standard dictionary, if you look up Rephaim, Nephilim, the two, the two main names, you will find out it will say one thing about them, and every, every entrance you'll see will say one thing. It will say they're quote-unquote mythological creatures. Uh, make sure you get, uh, Joe, make sure you get a copy of the notes back there. There should be still one. Uh, we're dealing with that, uh, we're picking up on that subject, Joe, and we have, at the end of it, you can see, uh, I'll talk to you afterwards about, there's some handouts in here that, that uh, really give you some more information. So, 
we're going to go a little bit deeper. So this was last month we started this, this one on in, in our series and problems we don't have when we take scripture literally. And one of the problems that we don't have is identifying who the sons of God in Genesis 6 were and who their offspring is. And when we go through this and find out, you're pretty much, you're pretty much convinced, you have to be convinced if you take the Bible seriously or, and literally, you have to be convinced that these were angels who took human embodiment and cohabitated with women. And at some point, we may have to do another lesson to cover just a little bit more on this, but at some point we'll go into why they were here. Why did Satan bring them? Yeah. The very thought of angels taking on a human body and cohabitating with women is so out of sort with the concept of what we usually think angels are as these divine creatures who are above everything. But then we know Satan existed, and he's not divine. So we know there was evil in the in the realm, and, of, in the realm of angels. Now think about that. Yeah, one-third of the angels follow Satan, according to the book of Revelation. Yeah. And so among those one-third of the angels, those were the ones that did this. Now, where are they today? Well, we can skip ahead and tell you that they're, they are chained up. In, and according to the book of Jude, they're chained up. They're chained up in darkness. They're not running around today, so they couldn't do it today. And there are some who speculated. This is not in our notes, but before we get going. There are some that have speculated today. Could they come again? The answer is no. Because when we understand the reasons they were here the first two times, there's nothing that they could accomplish by coming back and doing the same thing again. Because they originally were here for two different reasons. One, to keep the Messiah. We'll, we'll talk more about it later. But one, to keep Messiah from coming by contaminating human bloodline. Because these are not humans. These are considered something else. And the other was to keep the people of Israel from going into the promised land. And we, we can see that right out of scripture. I mean, I'm not going to make any of that up. It's too, it's too simple and it's too much fun to present what's there. So, so, so those who want to argue with us from our other positions, they, they can argue, but they're not going to argue with me. They're going to have to argue with the Bible. So last month, and looking at our notes, we have last month in our studies, we started something that's one of the most fascinating studies in the entire Bible. And of all the things I've ever studied, I have to say I've had the most fun with this one. It's not necessarily the easiest, but it's issue fun because this is, you know, you get the feeling like you, you, you see Star Trek and all the things that come up with Star Trek when that, was, that series was popular. Well, that was all mythical. None of that is real. This is all real and is every bit as fascinating, actually more fascinating because this happened on planet Earth and people to do will do anything today, unbelievers will do anything to deny that this ever happened. So, why is it so remarkable? Well, remember last week we looked into some things and so these are important things to remember and I just want to mention them. Uh, the, the exact Hebrew words, the sons of God, are found only four times in the Old Testament. Those are the Hebrew words. And they're only found in Job 1, 6, 2, 1, and in Genesis 6, 2, and 4. Now, if they're only found those four places, and it's in the Old Testament, and it's in Hebrew, then we are bound as honest students of the Word of God to see what it meant in the Bible. How did they use it? What did it mean? Because what happens is there's an error that goes around today where people want to read in how we use sons of God today and they want to read it back into the Bible. Now, I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that sons of God today are used of us as believers. We are called sons of God. We're children of God and we're called sons of God. Can we read that back and say that was in the Old Testament? No, we cannot do that. 
the Old Testament does not use sons of God but four times in this exact phrase and none of them are used of humans. And the proof of that is when you look at Job 1.6 and Job 2.1, you, you have the sons of God and Satan appearing before God. Now I'm here to tell you that there's no human being alive today nor has there ever been a human being that went to the third heaven and stood in the presence of God and put himself in standing order and saw Satan and angels. No one human's ever done that. But angels have. So sons of God... There's just no getting out of it, folks. I know people don't like to admit it, but they're angels. Yes? And in Genesis, Genesis 6, where it talks about the sons, uh, these, these angels coming down and being... Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, uh, in, my Bible has an excellent concordance, but the concordance avoids the subject and blames it as sons of Seth. Which is completely, it, it never ever made sense to me when I first read it. And it's like so many other points in the concordance. They avoid talking about subjects they don't like. You know, and, and one of the things that you're going to find if you look at commentaries, uh, you're going to find that what they don't like, they'll avoid. Right. Or they'll change, or they're allegorized, or they won't take it literally, but usually they just avoid it. And the other thing you'll notice in commentaries is that some will co- some commentaries copy other commentaries verbatim. There's two commentaries I ran across, the commentary by Joseph Benson and a commentary by Martin Luther on Genesis 6, 2, and 4. They have about a paragraph verbatim in both commentaries, verbatim the same. Now, somebody copied it from somebody, and probably they both copied it from somebody else. And so commentaries and scholars, so-called, are not necessarily honest men that go to Scripture. They have their preconceptions. And since St. Since Augustine, as he's called, in the 1300s decided that the sons of Seth were the sons of God. They were the godly. And he was the one that came up with it. Now, he was a Catholic and he was a philosopher. Because I have, and you put it in number three on your first page, the alternative view that the sons of God are sons of Seth uh, are, are the sons of Seth as a godly line is not found in scripture and Seth is found in these verses now I printed the verses out if you, if you have last month's notes you can see the verses printed out in full but you can also look them up and by the way last month's copy is also available on our website as is this so I try to put everything I do on the website so that if you lose a copy and you want to get another one just go there and pull it up and print it now, so you can find that Seth is only used in a few places, using five, Genesis 5, 3, and 4, Genesis 6, verses 5, 6 through 8, and Numbers 24, 17, and 1 Chronicles 1, 1. Now, you will not find anything about there being a line. They were not called godly. They were just mentions about a man named Seth. And that's all it is. And so, therefore, there's no way of saying that, this, that the sons of God can be identified with the sons of Seth. That expression is never found anywhere in the Bible. So now, if people want to read it in, I would call that eisegesis. I would call that dishonest. I would not call that biblical scholarship. Now, friends, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit old-fashioned. I'm, I'm simple enough to say, if the Bible says something, that's what I believe. If the Bible doesn't say something, then I don't believe it. Does that sound difficult? I think that's the way we have to approach the Bible. Because if we don't approach it that way, tell me how we're ever going to learn what it means. If we have to have someone say, well, no, it doesn't really mean this, it means that then don't bother reading the Bible because it can mean anything you want it to. I, I, I have no, no patience with those kind of people. If there's one thing that will get my blood boiling, Bill, it's people who will take the Bible and say, well, it doesn't mean this, it has to mean that. Because we, it all comes down to people don't like things. 
And we know that there have been, there have been scholars, so-called scholars, that were unbelievers who said the Bible's full of myths and they make fun of us for believing this. And that's why a lot of people that are from our camp that believe in the Bible as we would believe in the Bible will shy away from this position because they don't want to be made fun of. Okay, good folks, go ahead and make fun of me. But you know what? You people that make fun of us, you're going to answer to God. And when you see him before the great white throne, there's not going to be any laughing done. If there would be any laughing done, it would be you and I back behind the throne sitting there going, yeah, yeah, they got it. Except we're not going to be able to do that because we won't be like we are now. But Scott, if I could have 10 minutes to be like I am now and see some of these people that would make fun of the Bible for what it says, I'd make them sit there and go, ha, 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 who got the last laugh? Oh, it would be fun. Unfortunately, I'm not going to get that privilege. Yeah, I tell you, we just... <laughs> so anyway... Point number four down here, and we covered this last week, is the, the sons of God intruded into the human bloodline twice. Now, a lot of people don't seem to realize this, but we find evidence of it. It says in Genesis 6, 4, there were giants in the earth. Now, that's one of those two words, one of those Hebrew words. This would be H5303, Nephilim. There were Nephilim, or giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, giants in the earth in those days, it was talking about the days of Noah right before the flood. Well, when the flood came, everything was wiped out. And also after that, because we find out as late as King David's time, there's still Rephaim running around. Now, you'll notice we put in here, I have some notes in here, and this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek one. Number, point four, number A, the flood of Noah destroyed the giants of Noah's time. Genesis 7, 21 through 23. And reading the verses, I think God wanted us to conclude that all flesh died. Now, the reason I said that, if you look at Genesis 7, this is... I don't know if, if it's because humans are so slow to catch on or whether God has a sense of humor, but if you look at Genesis chapter 7, it, it almost could make you chuckle in a way because I get the message after the first time, but it said two more times. If you look at Genesis seven twenty-one through 23. Now, so the first time the Rephaim, Nephilim are on this planet, the giants, the offspring, they're here when the flood comes. So they were wiped out. But they're here later, so it, that's what Genesis 6 says. They were also after that. But it says, you'll notice it says in the, well, in verse 8, starting back in verse 17, it says, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare the ark up, and it was lifted up above the earth, and the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went up upon the face of the water. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and high hills were all covered, uh, the run to the high heaven were covered, fifteen cubits upward, cubits eighteen inches, so that would be fifteen, that'd be twenty-two and a half feet. The, the waters did prevail and the mountains were covered. Now notice what it says. And all flesh that moved upon the earth, all flesh, that covers everything, but it's specified. All flesh that moved upon the earth, birth of fowl and cattle of beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. Now verse 22. And all, who's in, on all in whose nostrils was a breath of life that was on the dry land died. So now you have it. All flesh that moved died. Verse 22. All flesh on the earth died. Verse 23, and every living substance was destroyed in the face of the earth. I think God wants us to get the idea that everything before the flood was wiped out. That's kind of what it says here, and it specifies it again. Now, you only have Noah that remained alive. Now, there's some interesting things. The fish live. The fish live, yeah. Yeah, it says, you notice it said upon the dry land. People said, well, gee, what about this flood? It would have done this, would have done that. What says it killed people on the dry land? Didn't do anything to the things in the sea. That's pretty simple to see. It just... The, things, the problems we can stay out of if we take Scripture literally are just astounding. 
<laughs> it's very simple. Now, we know that they were present, and you can see we have some notes in here. They were present in King David's time. Now, there's a footnote down here, and footnote number one, I'll have to read that to you. It is interesting to note that Caleb, at age 85, according to Joshua 14.10, he was one of the spies that said we can take the land when the others said we couldn't. He actually drove out the sons of Anak, who were Rephaim, and it names them. It names three of them that he drove out, and these were individuals. Remember that picture we looked at the end of see what Goliath looked like? Or that's Goliath's spear and that guy standing there next to it? And remembering that Goliath is nine foot six? And here this 85-year-old man went after three guys who were probably this big or bigger and drove them out? Either Caleb must have been one, at 40, 85 years of age, Caleb must have been better than any of us were in our prime to drive. That's, you know, but that's out of the scripture. You see why I like this study? There's so much here that's just absolutely fascinating. So, today we want to go back, and the time we have, and we're going to probably have to do this again next month. I hope you folks aren't going to be hurt and have your feelings hurt, but next month I'll probably try to do a little more of this because I don't think I can get it all done today. There's just so much, and it's so much fun. So, the physical offspring of this, what do we know about them? Well, the first main point is the offspring of the sons of God. What were they like and where were they found? And where they're found is, is not as interesting as what, what they were like. Now, in Genesis 6-4, you have the word giant, and that's where we get our first Strong's letter. H-5-3-0-3 was James Strong's letter. For the Hebrew word, right after that, you see those funny-looking letters? That's pronounced Nephilim, and it's, you transliterate it in the, in the brackets. And so that word is only used three times in the Old Testament. But Nephilim is important because it's going to link up with a word that's used 28 times. Rephaim. So if you look at the top of page two, there's a group that were, that were called Rephaim. Top of two, point number A, the sons of Anak, also called Anakim. Now, Anak was a man's name. Anakim would be the plural of his name, which would be sons of Anakim. The Anakim would be the plural of Anak. So it's his, in other words, it's his sons, and it's translated that way. So the Anak or Anakim are called Nephilim, H5303 and Numbers 1333. They're hybrid humanoids or giants. Now, look at point number B. In Deuteronomy 2.11, the Anakim, or sons of Anak, are also called H7497 Rephaim. Now, why is that important? Point C. Therefore, the, the H5303, Nephilim, and Rephaim, H7497, are the same beings. They're just two different names for the same people. And some have trouble with that, but when you realize, otherwise you only have three times the Nephilim were referred to, and then all of a sudden the subject is dropped. And all of a sudden you have Rephaim, and what's the connection? Where did they come from? Well, when you make the connection of the two, you can see that this is the same individuals called by a different name. Now, what we know about Rephaim primarily are going to be those beings after the flood, because before the flood, we only know, really, to be honest, what we know about the, the Nephilim or the Rephaim before the flood is in Genesis 6. We only know that they were there, they were giants, and I said they were men of renown. Now, you'll notice we did have here, one, one interesting side note is that one of the kings, to give you an idea of the size, we saw Goliath was nine foot six. He may have been a shorty because it looks like this all king of Bashan, his bed frame was nine cubits, and a cubit was 18 inches. It was nine cubits long, which was 18 inches, so that's a foot and a half, so that would make nine cubits, would make it 12 feet. Or third, wow. 12, 12 feet long and six feet wide. 
Now, how tall is it? I've heard of California kings, but come on, folks. If a guy's got a bed 12 feet long, how tall do you suppose he is? 12 feet? 12 and a half feet? Two-thirds of this room. <laughs> Could you imagine? Now, you remember at the back, we saw that picture of Goliath's spear. On the very last page of our handout, all the way at the end, that Goliath's spear is 12 foot 7 inches. Og may have been that tall. That back page where it has that, that one picture of that guy standing there. Now he's all, you see that six foot mark. What's amazing is six foot mark and this guy, and he looks like he's about six foot six. And yet look at that spear. Now if Og was that tall, can you imagine why he would have been a terrifying individual? He'd have dwarfed Goliath. Goliath was no small guy, but this guy's, these were big individuals. Now in that one hand, if you go to the, the file uh, in, in, uh, in, in my notes, if you go to the documents, view documents, and go to the file Sons of God, and look at the one in there, it's, I think it's called copied from something, it's the Book of Giants or something like that, and it's, I copied it out of that. You can see some of the skeletons that they've dug up, and apparently at some point they, they dug up skeletons that were humanoid that were as much as 18 feet tall, and one even claimed to be 36 feet tall. Now, I don't know that that's possible, but the 18 feet... Uh, anywhere from 5, 12 to 15 feet seems to have been very common, but in this country alone, there were tons of them that were 7 and 8 feet tall. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot today, but if you go back several thousand years ago, when men were the average male was like 5 foot tall, something 7 or 8 foot tall was pretty good size. They were pretty big boys. And there's a whole, in that one article, if you go and look it up on uh, the church website, you will see that there was a whole, they found a whole colony, a whole society in, in what is now Illinois, up in, in that end of the world. There's a big burial mound with them. They found tons of skeletons. But where that comes important is because when you go back to that, a couple pages, it says, Smithsonian admits to destruction of thousands of human skulls in the early 1900s. Many of those skeletons went to Smithsonian and were summarily destroyed. All because the scientists wanted to support evolution. And men that were much taller back then didn't support evolution, so they just couldn't have them. They just got rid of them. That's science. And by the way, if you ever hear the word dark matter thrown around, just remember, the dark matter people are also the same people that would do this. They want what they believe and they'll make, if they can't find it any other way, they'll make it up. If I could stop for just a second, dark matter. You know what they say about dark matter? They can't see it, they can't measure it, they can't find it, they can't prove it, but they believe it. Wait, a, wait, wait, wait a minute. You can't see it, you can't measure it, you can't prove it, and that's science. Didn't science used to deal with facts, guys? Come on now, does anybody remember when science dealt with wild theories? Now you know science, because don't expect science to find things that agree with the Bible. Because you go back to one simple truth about mankind. Romans 5.10, it, it tells you that men hate God. If God says it, they don't want anything to do with it. Do you have a question? Our Sunday school teacher, Old Baptist, was a climatologist. And It's laundered. To their way of thinking. And that may not be what the report says at all. Yeah, you know, with, with just on the subject of climate change, I, I, I've said to people, I believe in climate change. Not in Florida, 
but I believe in climate change because when I lived in Oregon, we had spring, summer, winter, fall. <laughs> we had climate change every year. And the funny thing is, if you go back and look at the tree rings, you'll find that they found in history that tree rings sometimes there's a real wide section of growth, meaning they had a good year, and sometimes they have these real narrow bands, meaning it was hot and dry. They had climate change. All that's, that's always been there. Anyway, so. So what do we know about them? Well, okay, now we're going to get into some stuff here. And point number B on page two. Did you, uh, by the way, did you get uh, notes? Okay. Yeah. And if you want more, go to the website and under view documents, under my name, and there's a whole file that's called The Sons of God. And there's all of the stuff in, that we have today is all in there, so if you want more of them. So, before the flood... The men of the, the Nephilim were known as men of renown in Genesis 6:4. Now it says men of renown, but what's interesting about that, and I, I kind of like my Hebrew, so I had to throw it in here. It's real. It's literally men of the name, meaning if they were, if they were men of the name, it means their name was well known. They were well known. They were very very well thought of. And you can see I have some verses printed out here, and for the sake of time, you can just read them. You can see that men of renown meant that they were famous. Uh, they were well thought of, and and. Uh, in reality, it, many of them were leaders, kings, rulers. Now, the reason we know that is because, number two, after the flood, one of the last Rephaim was a king. Og was the king of Bashan. It said he was the remnant. He was what remained of the giants. They were beginning to die out because the sons of God were no longer able to produce those offspring, and the existing ones could, could reproduce, maybe, but they were starting to die out because they were getting killed. We find out that they got killed by other people. Other groups went after them. But so one of the last one was Og. But now number three. Look at point number three. This is where it becomes, it becomes important. About what these men were. What were these humanoids like? It says, and, and it's printed in your notes for the sake of time. Hell, or if you please, Sheol, Hebrew Sheol. Hell from beneath is moved to for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirs up the dead, literally the Rephaim for thee, even the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their throne, notice what it says, all the kings of the nations. And that's correct. There is a definite article. It's all the kings of the nations. Now this is after the flood. And Isaiah 14 verse 9, if you look at the context, it's talking about Satan is going to be cast down into a place called the abyss. And when he gets there, his, this is his greeting party. They're going to be there and say, Hey, welcome to the club. It's going to be nice and warm down here. Nice to see you. Are you weak like us? Yeah. They're going to taunt that poor guy for a thousand years. Satan's going to get taunted by these individuals. They're going to say, Are you weak like us? But you'll notice who these were, these Rephaim. These Rephaim, they were kings of all the nations. So apparently Og was not an exception. He was probably the normal Rephaim, most of the kings of nations at that time, up until close to the time of the Exodus, they were kings were all Rephaim. Now that's not hard to understand because look at the arrow on the bottom of the page. Just remember this. We know this to be true. This is, I mean, I found this out and I was looking at English history and how the, how the different, different lines took over in England. They fought. They killed each other. The guy that won became the king. And so, in ancient history, a man came king by taking force. Now, if you consider the physical power of these individuals, is it easy to believe that they would become kings? <laughs> you look at the pictures at the back, I say, I take one look at him and say, you want to be king? No problem. Cool, cool guy, you got it, it's yours. You, you, you wouldn't want to try and fight a guy like that. And they're, just, they're just astounding. Now, 
Top of page three. Now it's even getting into more fun. This is where it gets to be fun. Some of the some of the known Rephaim in Scripture. I was never able to 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 prove conclusively that Goliath was one of the Rephaim because it didn't say that. Ah, but it does say that. You know how you know how it says that? Well, let's see. We we've already mentioned some of the known Rephaim. We've already talked about Og, who's in in uh, Deuteronomy three eleven. Now David's army, this is later still, David's army slew three Rephaim, two are, two are named. And so here's our passage in 1 Chronicles 20, verses 4 through 8. This is history. And it came to pass after this that there arose war in Gezer with the Philistines. At that time, Sibachah, the Hushite, slew Siphai, who was one of the children of the... Giant. Yeah, 7497, one of the children of the Rephaim. And there was war again with the Philistines, and Elhanah slew Lamai, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, who was staff was like a weaver's beam. Weaver's beam? Remember that weaver's beam in the back? The next to last article? There's what your weaver's beam would look like. His spear was like that. Now put your hand around that on a, if you look at that page. Look at, put your hand around that. Could you pick up a spear like that? Bill, you and I, look at... How's your hand fit? Well, Bill and I, if you and I put our hand on each side, we could pick it up. Pick it up. Well, both of us, you and I together might be able to do it, right? Or maybe Scott and I do it. This is a, you know, oh, this. So, this was, now this, so now we know you have that, that this, uh, that Lamai was the brother of Goliath, and Lamai is said to be uh, in this stature. You'll notice um, verse 8, these three were born to the Rephaim, the giant in Gath, the Rephaim, the H7497. So, Lamai Sibai, and there's one person here, he's not named, that just said there was war at Gath, verse 6 of the, in our context, whose fingers and toes were 24 on each hand and 6 on each foot. Uh, six on each hand, uh, 24 and 6 on each hand, 6 on each foot, who was also the son of the Rephaim. So he was 6 fingers. He was, it doesn't, and 6 toes. Uh, he was a big boy too, it doesn't say, his, doesn't say his name, but it says those three were born to the Rephaim and Gath. So there were still Rephaim and Gath in the time of David, and they came out, and Goliath was one of them. So Goliath's brother is called a Rephaim, so if his brother's a Rephaim, he's a Rephaim. So now if anybody ever question, question you about it, you can show them from here that his brother was born to a Rephaim. So that means he was too. It's his brother. Yeah. So... At nine foot six, and you notice my point down in point number B. This means that Goliath is a Rephaim, and I have a little tongue in cheek, as if being nine foot six inches tall would leave any room for doubt. I mean, nine foot six. Look at that last page again on the, on the handout. It's the very final page with Goliath's spear. There's Goliath. See that little plaque up near the top? That's how tall Goliath was. <laughs> uh, with that, would you question? Who, who, what his parentage was? <laughs> that's not, the, the man in the picture is about six foot. You'll notice a six foot mark. His man in the picture is probably six foot six. There's a six foot marker right about his mouth level, and if you go up to the top of his head, it's about six 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 seven. But there's Goliath. The tower is three feet over him. It makes that guy look small. And then if you get to the top of that spear, you might get to the size of Og, the king of Bashan, whose bed frame was thirteen feet. So. Would you like to face up with somebody like that? I don't think I'd try to. Not with a Not with a, Yeah. <laughs> yes. I have a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. So, 
ones that directly came from the union of the angel, the fallen angel, and the mortal or human, would they be taller than, say, like as they went by, maybe the original spring would get married to another human, or would they still maintain? You're talking about the sons of God? Well, or the, the original, say, like whoever. The original sons of God that came yeah. in? They would. They may be. There's maybe a tendency for them to have gotten shorter. But the original, the original sons of God themselves were. They, we know from Genesis 18 when when we saw the the image there when uh, when Abraham saw three men coming, two angels and the third person of the uh, second person of Godhead, the Son. They were humans, and they he didn't notice anything strange about him. So I'm guessing that the the actual sons of God themselves were not that big. They were normal size, but because they were not fully human they were something else, then their offspring had ability that was way beyond what any normal human would have. And so they were probably a lot smarter too, by the way. But the offspring reproduced other offspring yeah. down through the and, age. And over, even at the time of David, I think. Yeah, right. And over the time, they may have started to get shorter. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably the truth. Is they get, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's, that's likely. And I think that's probably the case is that they got shorter. But I mean, nine foot six is still, you look at the picture in the back, and that's a neat picture because that boy there is six foot and he got his head comes out about let's see one two three four five six about six seven six eight and that Goliath three feet taller than him Whew, that's something else okay so so uh, so let's we back on page three we have uh, Lamy's spare was like a weaver's beam how big is that well we know what they were, the looms of the time, and that's what the, the next to the last page gives you the size of the weaver's beam. And this has been substantiated by archaeology and so forth. And so the diameter of a spear, here's his spear. Now you take that spear that is, that is uh, 12 foot 7 inches long and put it on a 2 inch or 2 and a half inch diameter on there. Look at that image of it. Try to put your hand around that and imagine picking up something right around almost 13, 12 and a half feet long, that big around. I could hardly get my hand around it. If you look at that and try to put your hand on it, that's just, that's amazing. But you look at it, and that gives you, gives you a vivid image of what it was. So, Goliath of Gath. Now here is, now we're getting into the well-known, this is probably the best single-known Rephaim in Scripture when you get down to it, because we know a little bit more about him than we know about others. So we find Goliath of Gath, Genesis, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verses 4 through 7. It says, And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had greaves of iron on his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Now we're talking about the tip of a spear weight, 600 shekels of iron. We'll talk about it. You'll see what it is in a second. And one bearing a shield went before him. So a cubit was 18 inches and a span 6. So that means Goliath was 9 foot 6. Now the coat of mail was something like a vest is the best way to describe it. And 5,000 shekels. Now they know what the measurement is. They have found in some way they've been able to trace it back and they've kept records of it. So they know what it is. And so from this one site, you'll see there's a site referred to in the bottom. You can go and check it out. But if you take the 5,000 shekels of brass, it comes out to being 
about 125 pounds. Now, I, I think I told somebody it was 150. I was wrong by a little bit. But could you imagine someone weighing something 125 and two-thirds of a pound, almost 126 pounds, a vest? A vest. A 126-pound vest, you put it on because you get up out of the chair. Bill and I couldn't do it, right, Bill? If we got together, we tried to do it. We couldn't probably do it. So then now, the head of his spear, now this is the tip of his spear. It said that we read the tip of his spear, one page three of the notes uh, right now. The, the, tip of his, the tip of his spear weighed 600 shekels. Now, that comes out to being 15 pounds. Now, a bowling ball is 16 pounds. But could you imagine having something that had a tip on it that weighed as much as a bowling ball? Could you pick it up? How could he move? Who are you talking about? Goliath. He was a Rephaim. He was one of the Rephaim. Well, if you, look at, uh, if you look at the last page, look at the last page of the handout. It's the very last page. And you see there's this plaque up there in the top. There's a picture of a man holding a spear. This is Goliath's spear. The man, if you look at him, He's about six foot eight, but look where Goliath comes at, nine foot six. So when you put a man that big, and he must have had hands, I mean, I'm going to guess a guy that size would probably weigh 800 pounds. So, I mean, 125 pounds if somebody weighed that much probably wasn't that heavy to him. He might have weighed more than that, for all we know. I'm going to guess 800 pounds, maybe as much as 1,000. Well, he was muscled. Well, he would have to have been muscled. I mean, to pick up a, to pick up a spear... So, now, according to this one, now, you know, point D on page three, the length of Goliath's spear, this is according to this one website. It was 12 foot, 7 inches long, and weighed 34 pounds. Now, you put that together, the tip weighs 16 pounds, the spear itself weighs 34 pounds, you've got something on that last page, that spear that you look at in the last page of the handout, weighs 50 pounds. And, looking at the page before that, its diameter is either two to two and a half inches. Now, what kind of a being would that be? Can you understand how, how stunning it must have been to David? He was a big, strong guy. <laughs> Here this being comes out to meet him, and David says, I'm going to kill you in the name of our God. I think either David was crazy or he had a lot of faith. <laughs> I, I tell you, and, and it's no wonder if you go back in the account and you read the account in 1 Samuel 17, Saul and all his men were terrified. They would not go out because what happens, Goliath said, let's make this easy. You come out and kill me. The, the, I'm the Philistine. You kill me. We'll serve you. We killed one of your men. You serve us. Make it simple. Send somebody out to fight me. Nobody wanted to go out. I, I wonder why. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone out. So here you have this man. David was, yeah, David was a man, I, it just, there, there's some individuals in the Bible that have done things that are just not easily explained. This one is one, another one is when back in, in Genesis 22, when Abraham took Isaac up and God said, offer him as a burnt offering, he went to do it. And he started, he was ready to kill him. Now, where did you get that kind of faith from? I'll tell you, God had to do a lot, God did the work in their lives. God had to do it. He was actually what was interesting is he was the baby of the family. Yeah. There were seven. He was the seventh kid. And so I have to chuckle at that because I was the baby of the family. And I never got chosen for anything like that. 
Well, they all wanted to pass him over, too. They, they did. They did because his brothers were all taller, yeah. like Saul. And Saul was, they said Saul was head and shoulders above the people. Now, by today's standards, that would be about at least six foot six. So, and in that time, that would have been big. Men were shorter back then, so maybe he was shorter than, than six six, but he was still a big man. So, what do we know about these men? Well, our time is up. Uh, we, we'll, we may have to come back next month if, 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 if everybody can agree to it. If it doesn't hurt your feelings, we'll come back and do a little bit more and try to tie this together and, and put these people into perspective. No, me. I'll be. Oh, oh this. Yeah. As far as late, I had a neighbor that needed help, and I was on my way, and there we go. Yeah. And I didn't know whether I looked at him, and I thought about it, and I looked at him, and I said, "What do you want me to do? You'll help him." Well, I think probably in, in the inside of things, that may have a greater benefit than this because this is a these notes are available. You have them and yeah, so well, forth. And any anybody has questions about this, you know, you can. We're going to have to stop because we don't want to intrude into the, the morning service. But you can ask me now, or please uh, email me because I get to, I have a good friend, like I said, in Memphis. He asked me questions from all over the place, and he asked me the best questions. The most, I mean, he asked me questions. I told him, I said, you asked me better questions than, I, than my seminary students asked. They were more in depth. I mean, he asked really good questions, and he emails me, and I answer them. So if you have questions about anything I've covered or anything else. Uh, just email me. I'll be glad to answer them. And if I don't know, I'll make up on it. No. <laughs> I, I've got a shirt. I've got a shirt. You should see it. It's, a, it's brown, and it says in great big letters, Papa knows everything. And if he doesn't, he makes up something real fast. <laughs> and Papa, of course, that's one of the nicknames that's for grandfather. So once in a while, I wear it for my grandkids. Don't wear that. <laughs> no, I probably won't. But I, have, I think I have a picture of it on one of my phones. I sent it to somebody once. But, but uh, we'll come back to this next month. And like I say, if you have questions about anything in here, go ahead and feel free to ask me because there's a lot. We, haven't, we did touch on something last month, and, and uh, we know they're not humans because if one thing for sure is they're not going to be resurrected for the final judgment. But if all men are resurrected and they're not resurrected, then God must not count them as being fully human. That's why I call them hybrid humanoids. Because they look like men, they sounded like men, but they weren't men. The Rephaim, the offspring. Yeah, the offspring of the sons of God. Yeah, the sons of God, the original sons of God, if you go to the book of Jude, you find out, and, and also in Second Peter 2, you find out that they're chained up. They're, they're, they're locked up. They're not, they're not out, they're not around, they can't do anything. Well, we're going to stop there. I hope this, this has got your interest up and you find it. This, this, this is just one of those the subjects that is just absolutely fun. So anybody that thinks that the Bible's dull reading just hasn't read the Old Testament very much. And the more I read the Old Testament, the more I see just wonderful stories back there. And, just, and people just don't read them anymore. It, it doesn't come through uh, easily and quickly if you just skim it. I mean, you take a lot of effort getting down into the detail and tracing all these little leads out till you find out what the what the definite were really like. Yeah, yeah, and it's but the thing that amazes me is is uh, I look at this and I say I haven't seen anybody do this and put this in print, and I wonder why why hasn't someone done this because it's not impossible to do if I could do it. Anybody could do it that has a little bit of, anybody that went to seminary, anybody had a little bit of Hebrew knowledge could do what I had done. And why hasn't anybody ever done it? 
I, that I don't understand. That's the un one thing I do not understand. I guess the closest thing we have is Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> if you've ever seen him and seen the size of his hands and his feet, I mean, he has a size 21 shoe and a hand that is like... Yeah, we've had some big people born. The biggest one I remember, there was a Ralph Waddell that was born in Chicago. He was eight foot ten. Oh my gosh! And but he had, but all of the all of those people like that are different than, than the Raphaim. They had trouble with their legs and their knees. They couldn't yeah. hardly walk, and, and he had he had all kinds of trouble. So they're not Raphaim. People have tried to say they they might be. No, they're they're not because salt. Uh, no, Ralph Waddell was was a white guy from Chicago. He was American. You know, he was Caucasian. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a guy that was a, that had been a slave that was eight foot six or something like that that got set free, but he couldn't walk either. He has his legs were bad, and so the Raphaim were not like that. You look at this guy that was wearing a vest that weighed one hundred twenty five pounds, this was nine foot six, and tell me he had bad legs and he could throw that. Uh, he was not the same as these people. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, and then uh, we will we will. Uh, Look forward to this next month and do a little bit more and see if we can't tie this up. Father, once again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the fact that there are things here that are just thrilling to know that in, in, almost in themselves, they're, they're just almost an end in themselves because they're so fascinating. And it, and it helps us to realize, Father, how you looked in the Old Testament, all of the things that had to be done to bring Israel into that land. And these individuals are going to play a, play a role in whether or not the people went into the land at the time they did. We'll find out exactly more about that next time, Father. But we're thankful that as we see this, we're thrilled to find that the Word of God has so much wonderful detail and so many wonderful things that are just almost fun in themselves to know. And it just makes us want to study your Word even more. May that be true of all of us, we ask in our Savior's name. Amen.